I'm Phil Hopton. And I'm Ollie Cadell. And you're listening to the Practice Evolution podcast brought to you by Waters Kluwer Tax and Accounting UK. In this podcast series, we talk to industry leaders, influencers, fellow accountants and technology experts to address key issues impacting you, the accountant, as you continue to evolve your practice and adapt to the ever-changing needs of both your teams and your clients. This episode is part of a series of episodes we recorded live at Accountex 2023 as part of our Practice Evolution Theatre. Across the two days, we spoke to a host of amazing guests around a wide range of interesting and challenging topics. So, Ollie, what is this episode about? So this session is one that I recorded with Paul Surtees, who is the CEO and co-founder of Capitalize. And on the face of it, this is a session about funding, similar to the one that Phil had with Andrea Reynolds from Swoop. But if you've heard Paul talk before, you'll know that he's a vastly intelligent guy. I'm very conscious when I speak to him that I'm talking to someone much more intelligent than myself. And therefore we cover all manner of topics in terms of the wider macroeconomics, factors such as inflation that are affecting the accounting industry at the moment, uh, and even a bit of juicy politics gossip. <laughs> uh, I know how you feel. I worked with Paul for uh, three years, so um, you, you have my uh, my sympathy in terms of that those high-level conversations that sometimes I was like, yeah. Um, but Paul really, really knows his stuff, and certainly around the macroeconomic climate and everything that's going on in the world, there are few people in this industry better placed to talk on that. So, uh, as always with these episodes, there are some background noise. Uh, we recorded them live at the Excel in, uh, you know, around 10,000 other people wandering around. But don't let that distract from some excellent content throughout this and all of our AccountX episodes. So over to Ollie's chat with Paul Surtees. I'm delighted to uh, have for this session Paul Surtees, CEO of Capitalize. Um, and incidentally, the very first external non-Waters Kluwer person that I ever interviewed on the podcast. And you're my last one today. Nice little bit of symmetry there. There you go. Lovely to have you back, Paul. So. I've got to start with this opening line, no funding is the new funding. Two reasons. One is that after last night's parties, I'm clean out. I've got no funding, so this is music to my ears. But secondly, I'm sure our audience are itching to know what you mean by that. So what are we getting at here? Sure. So um, at 12.15 today, the Bank of England raised rates for the, uh, the 12th time. Uh, since they started raising rates in January 22, December 21. And they've pushed rates up to 4.5%. And actually, uh, one of the things that Capitalize does is um, deliver SME funding through the accounting community. We've done that about 1.6 billion of approved capital. But as rates are going up, the cost of funding is getting much richer. Um, obviously, I mean, even somebody like a Barclays would offer a one-year fix to like eight and a half, nine percent for a, a business. And so rates are just much more expensive to borrow. So hopefully, the idea of like 0% funding and working capital should be interesting. And if you've got clients who uh, benefit from supplier credit and think about their credit score or don't, this is where the opportunity lies. So ultimately, every business has a credit score. Every time you file a set of accounts as a accountant, that data, which is somewhere between sort of 12 and 19 months too old, ultimately will uh, change the credit rating bureau's 
um, understanding of the business, and that will change the credit score. When a credit score, um, uh, with the opportunity we've got is to improve a credit score and we can change the amount of money that a business gets. And on average, we can um, change the business credit limit by about three and a half times. So if a business has a credit rating of £100,000, we can turn it to £350,000. So a supplier, think about a building. If, you, if you've got a builder within your portfolio, he might work with Travis Perkins, uh, Screwfix. He'll have a 30, 45, 60-day uh, credit account. And if he had a £100,000, most is smaller than that, but £100,000, typically we can turn that to £350,000. If he's got 10 suppliers, that's £3.5 million worth of capital into the business for free on a working capital basis. This works 96% of the time. So if you've got 100 clients, we can probably do this for 96 of them. Okay? So like it's pretty powerful. And when the rates are going up, like we love funding. We'll do funding all day. We'll help you with the funding. But funding has a cost. And as the rates are going up as they have today, um, this is a, a really uh, viable um, alternative. No funding funding. And Paul, I know that you, I, you would, but you pay such close attention to the wider macroeconomic picture. I, presumably you weren't surprised when the Bank of England announced that hike today. Um, I was uh, talking in another theatre at midday saying that in 13 minutes the Bank of England would be raising rates and Kirsty was sitting there um, to tell me when they went with a trading signal uh, of a quarter of a percent. So yes, we were expecting it. I'm delighted that Kirsty's here, also friend of the podcast, who was on a couple of months ago to talk about forecasting. So, Paul, I, I wonder what um, insight we can shed, particularly on smaller businesses, the ones who are probably hardest pressed in terms of cash flow at this time. And as you say, the cost of, of funding, cost of borrowing going up pretty substantially. What advice would you give to either smaller accountancy practices or practices working with smaller clients in terms of ensuring that they've got that regular cash flow at the moment? I think um, we can actually, I can turn the question around a little bit actually. And sure. um, Will now probably talking in App Advisory over there in his book. If you've read it, you should. If you haven't, you should read it. But um, one of the things that really jumped out of me is that during the pandemic, um, the accountant industry's net promoter score was at the highest point it's ever been and it's been cresting off ever since. And the reason that it was so high is because um, there were so many reasons given to us from the government to speak with our clients. Grants, furlough one, furlough two, bounce back, C-bills, RLS. Like there was just so many reasons to have a conversation about capital, money, funding, working capital, like everything in between. And as a result, we all got closer to our clients, and as a result, the net promoter score went up. Now that we're going back to BAU, we're not having those conversations quite so much. The net promoter score is coming off. So what advice can I give in that context? There's real value to being able to have those conversations, to um, make sure that we have that dialogue with the businesses about what's happening in their businesses with their aspirations, because... Every headwind, everything that you read that's probably negative in the press, inflation, and we've just had nine consecutive months of uh, double-digit inflation, okay? When you read these, um, these facts, you can sit there and you go, Ooh. but actually these are an opportunity for you because that is something for you to talk about, about how you can, whether it's pricing, whether it's uh, credit control, whether it's debtor risk, whether it's the... No funding, funding, um, all of those things is an opportunity for you to talk about and help get a business ready for 
the credit uh, review service and improving credit scores or going externally and getting money. Yeah, I, I wanted to um, pick up on what you were saying about, uh, uh, well, and what Kirsty was saying when she came on the show about looking to the future and forecasting because it, it seems to me that during the pandemic, a lot of businesses who might not have necessarily paid as close attention to forecasting didn't necessarily see the same degree of value in it suddenly found that they needed bank financing quickly in order to maintain that cash flow and needed a more accurate and more detailed forecast in order to validate that they were a solid prospect for a bank or whoever's looking to finance them. What, what would you say on the, on the value of forecasting and best practice in doing that? Well, I think um, pre-pandemic, 52% of businesses were what known as... Um, uh, permanent non-borrowers. They would never borrow. Never go to market. No interest in borrowing. I don't borrow because debt is bad. Of course, debt can be bad, but it's the return on the leverage that you employ that could be good. Okay, So if you think about it from an investment thesis, that's a good place to be. In the pandemic, when the money was free, all you had to do was like fill in a two-page form, go to a bank, uh, and get a bounce back. 50 grand, 2.5%, no personal guarantee, free money, 12% non-performing loans, you know, this is kind of where we're sitting now. The world has changed and we probably didn't need to be forecasting, although it would have been the right thing to be doing at 2.5%. From a debt perspective, if you're going to be taking on debt at, let's just say you're a AAA credit, you've got a 100 credit score, you've got good credit lines because you've done your credit improvement, you're in that space and you're still getting a 9% rate from Barclays, right? Like it's, it's rich, okay? So at that point, you need to know what is the return on, uh, on the leverage? And to do that, you need to be looking at the monthly cash flows out from the repayments and the interest relative to what you're expecting to earn back. And it's not just associated with the borrowing, it's associated with every cash flow component that's in there. So, I mean, I think a small fraction of businesses are truly forecasting, right? Like, there's a lot of uh, fag packet forecasts, but um, hopefully with the technology you guys have got with FinCET and everything else, hopefully there's the opportunity to be able to to get people further up the curve. I didn't even have to ask for that plug. Um, and, and just on that, I'm, and I'm thinking back to when I interviewed you on the podcast back in, I think it was August last year, and we spoke about the wider macroeconomic picture. You gave some predictions for what you were anticipating at that time. Probably the ideal time to have done that last year because a month later, Liz Truss entered Downing Street. And whatever your political inclinations might be, I think we can all agree that was a period of upheaval and change. So hopefully now's a better time to be talking about macroeconomic factors, yes. a more stable time perhaps. Yeah. Well, so what do you foresee over the rest of this financial year, for instance? Well, actually, as somebody who comments on these things, the Kamikaze budget uh, was super exciting to be talking about and communicating all that stuff. But of course, it was fiendishly awful, you know, in its context. Um, from a theoretical context the idea of it was actually you know probably right you know like how can we get more money to get into growth to get productivity to do those things but of course if the world doesn't have confidence in our ability to repay back our debt a bit like the forecasting conversation we just had then of course servicing those debts goes up it becomes much more expensive there's an economic crisis and that's what happened in that budget um, forecasting is fortunately now that the adults are back in um, uh, whether you like them or not, 
um, you know, at least there's some people who actually have un an understanding of banking and, and, and those things. And I think we saw that with the resolution of Silicon Valley Bank into HSBC. And I don't think that deal would have got done without Rishi there, actually, because you know, he has that experience in that space. I think we do have a lot of uncertainty ahead of us. Um, it's certainly more certain than now than then. But you've only got to look abroad, and you might not have heard of this, but if, um, if America sneezes, we catch cold, right? And I'm not sure if you saw in the press today, hopefully there are no Trump supporters, absolute numpty in my position, and from my perspective. But, you know, he is basically suggesting that, um, that America defaults on its uh, debt obligations, because in America they have this thing called the debt ceiling, okay? And it has to be signed into legislation from the Senate. Okay, and it, they always vote, so they always have a little spat. A few of the local government agencies, you know, stop working for a day or two, but of course they never default on their debt, okay? Trump is basically saying, like, sod it, let's prove the Democrats wrong, let's de default, let's get this thing. You might not be aware of this thing, but if that happens, we might as well just shut the lights off. We're talking about trillions and trillions and trillions of pounds worth of debt that the world has just lost confidence in, okay? Like, so... What's ahead of us? So we think about in the UK, um, if we look at the CFO uh, survey from Deloitte, um, there's about 68, 70 CFOs surveyed. They're responsible for about 300 billion pounds worth of market capitalization in the, um, uh, in the equity markets. They're actually turned optimistic at the moment. Um, and they're optimistic for a couple of reasons. They think that the supply chains are easing. You know, they are. You know, China's opening up, not perhaps as much as we want, but the supply chains are easing. The, the, uh, the Windsor Agreement with, uh, you know, on Northern Ireland and Brexit and those kind of things, that's softening a little bit. That had a really good pop for sterling. So that gave some great uh, confidence in the currency, which was super helpful. Um, but there's lots of things to, you know, swirling around us as always. Um, I think like direction of rates, we've had, I think, maybe the final quarter point. Uh, I think the market expects another quarter of point. So that'll take us up to four and three quarter percent in base rates. And then Barclays will be breaking 9% for their one-year rate, right? And that's our benchmark, really, for like whether like good AAA credit, low risk, good lending, 9%. So when we think about lending in that context, like that's just the world that we live in. And so we have to accept that 9 to 20-something is the world of lending for SMEs. Yeah, just on that topic of, of Brexit, we're obviously three years out of the European Union at this point, two years out of the transition period. We have the Windsor framework in place at this point. Has that, I mean, I know that's been signed into law. Is it in operation at this point? Do you know, it's, it's, it's created a lot of uh, positivity around yeah. the direction of uh, travel, but there's work to be done. Sure. And do you feel that that's created a greater sense of stability in terms of trade with Europe and the, the knock-on economic? I think ultimately, look, Europe's a massive trading partner for us. Undoubtedly, it's caused absolute chaos for our trading partners, our ability to go out. Since 2008, 12, the global financial crisis, we used to have productivity in the UK over 2%, it's now less than 1%. And the reality is all of these things that are falling apart, it's like death by a thousand cuts, but you know, 700 of them from Brexit. So whichever way you go, like it's, it's almost impossible to suggest that that isn't gonna harm us over the, over the longer term. Yeah, and it goes back to what you were saying about that period with Kwasi Kwarteng's budget where I, th I think most people are agreed that he had the right diagnosis of the problem. It was the solution that wasn't necessarily 
the one that would inspire greatest confidence in the market. Look, who knows what would have happened if they'd actually approached the ONS, the OBR, you know, and actually got some support for what they were doing rather than just telling the world what they were doing. And in that instance, if they'd actually gone and got the forecast, delayed the things, done the piece, maybe they could have carried it, but you know, they were too bullish. There's a lot about leadership in there. Lessons will be learned. So, taking that, and maybe they should have used FinCET, who knows? <laughs> so, it's very quick. So, you know, they could have actually got their forecasts out, you know, snappy between sessions, all that kind of stuff. So, maybe they should have. I, I mean, I, d I don't wish to plug our own products too extensively in this session, but it is one of the things that we pride ourselves with on FinCET, that it's very quick, simple to set up, easy to use. Um, and I'm allowed to say that because he brought it up. <laughs> um, but so, so with that in mind, uh, what would be, if you had to name the top three things to look out for in terms of the macroeconomic landscape and where businesses should look to address that landscape in terms of funding, what top three tips would you give our audience? In what time frame? Uh, let's say between now and the end of current financial year. Okay. So, I mean, like when we look at it in that context, I think... Uh, I just think that businesses have to look up and it's our responsibility to help them to do that. And so they won't. They'll be busy in the day, busy doing what they're doing, focusing on the business, and they won't be thinking about these things. And I was uh, interviewing Rachel um, Emerson from Creston yesterday and she suggested about 50% of businesses sit in this kind of category of wait, just waiting, head in the sand type territory. And that is the natural human state that we live in. And so in that context, rates could go higher in a world where we don't just have nine months, but 10 months, 11 months, 12 months of double-digit inflation. So surprise, surprise, Bank of England have come out today saying, food inflation is sticky, right? And you're like, oh, please, like, get with the program. Like, it's, we, we've got to be thinking through this and communicating appropriately. The reason they can't is if they start talking about it, we worry about it. If we worry about it, it becomes entrenched, right? So I have deep sympathy for them. It's a horrible position to be in. So I think when it comes to lending, if you haven't done the no funding funding and you're looking for external funding, the reality is, is that it's just important to think about the, the term of your borrowing because all borrowing is not a flat rate. So for those of you who have ever looked at the mortgage market, you can get a variable, you can get a two-year fixed, a three-year fixed, a five-year fixed, a ten-year fixed, and they've all got different rates. At the moment, the rates kind of start, go up a bit, and then come down. So the longer rates are actually longer, and that is basically the market's expectation of where rates will be in that period. So if you're thinking, I've got a ten-year mortgage, that rate is reflective of the average rates that the market's predicting over a ten-year period. So there are opportunities to say, Actually, I will lock in my commercial mortgage for 10 years, just in the same way that you might think, am I going to take a two-year mortgage or a five-year mortgage? That applies to SMEs, and I think it's just a case of head up, out of the business, number one. Two, focus on the, like, just be aware of the inflation thing, because it's still knocking around and is very worrisome. And then three, like, if you're thinking about lending, think about your, your duration. Yeah, it's interesting you um, talk about the mortgage market, and I wasn't necessarily planning to ask you about this, but um, if, it's, if, if it's if it's wealth advice, I'm not qualified. <laughs> well, I, it's an interesting thing that my partner and I came across when we were looking at we rent at the moment, um, 
and we came across, I think it was Skipton Building Society that was offering 0% mortgages, no deposit required. And that's not even something that had occurred to me that would even be available on the market. I mean, is that in a sense reflective of where we are at this point? I think um, to some extent, I, I think what Kirsty's saying, because I can't hear you, but the- um, I'm gonna come round to Kirsty with the mic in a minute. <laughs> I think uh, if you think about those queues outside of Northern Rock in the global financial crisis, they were super guilty of putting their 100% loans out overstacking and getting caught because they didn't have short-term funding and they lent long. They had a liquidity crisis. We've had three banks have a similar liquidity crisis for different reasons now, but um, it's being lauded, strangely, as innovation within the mortgage market. So over the last week or so, there's been a couple of 100% loans that have come to market and it's being suggested that innovation is back. Don't take it. <laughs> um, I mean, back in the day when everybody was like super bullish about where house prices were going, then you know maybe if you really want to take some leverage and go for it, and you're confident in your earnings, maybe. But we've got some tough times ahead, and I think what's kind of, without scaring people, the pandemic was a brutal period, but we had insane government support. We don't have that support going forward, and the next 12, 24 months are going to feel deletive because of inflation. When I ask accountants. How are your clients doing? You know, do they need funding? Do they? No, no, no. They're all growing. Okay. Um, when we use another ledger's data, um, they uh, they would suggest that turnover numbers are growing by 5.5% uh, per annum. Um, but if you inflation adjust that, it's actually 3.7% down. Okay. So that basically means your portfolios that you're looking at are actually shrinking when inflation adjusted. And so, like, these are the things that you know, keep me awake. Sure, I want to bring Kirsty in now. I'm just going to come around to her. Go on. For the benefit of our listeners, what was it you were trying to say to Paul? I was just saying, Oliver, you're far too young to remember when 100% mortgages were quite common. <laughs> well, I, I would have thought they'd learned their lesson at this point. Well, let's I mean, school when this was going on. <laughs> uh, so I think. Uh, we're coming towards the uh, part of the session where I'd like to ask the audience if they've got any questions that they'd like to put to Paul on the topic of funding or no funding, as may be the case. Um, if anyone would like to ask a question, I'm more than happy to come around with the mic as did with Kirsty. Oh, we've got one at the back. relating to funding or no funding, but I feel it was an interesting point that you raised about Trump and the US's debt ceiling. Consecutively, year on year, the US has always hit their debt ceiling and then year on year, they've raised it. I guess we're getting to that stage where, like you said, it's trillions and trillions of debt. Is there an upper limit where you, the US simply cannot raise it and will default and therefore we will catch a cold? I don't think we'll catch a cold if they default. I think it will be economic cataclysm. Like at that point, buy as many baked beans and water as you humanly can because it is of that magnitude. I think the reality is, is that they, hopefully, God willing, the Senate will make sure that that doesn't happen and that Trump doesn't come anywhere close to that conversation. He's saber ratting in the, in the way that he always does to get the clowns to come and vote for him and do the thing. I, I apologize if there are people um, who follow. 
I think that um, the thing, and I, <laughs> I joked earlier that this is a conversation for next year. The biggest thing I think that's happened in, uh, in the world at the moment is an end of a huge mega trend, which is there's no more cheap money, there's no more cheap energy, there's no more cheap goods, okay? And that's what we're all used to, this like amazing liquidity of everything. I think the biggest risk over the next 30 or 40 years is uh, the strength, the reserve status of the US dollar. And if you look at people like China and Russia trading in their own currencies buying oil, that's called the petrodollar, in a world where they are trading in not dollars, then the status of US dollars diminishes as a reserve currency. There are multiple currencies that start to trade on that reserve basis. And then the US won't actually be able to fund their debt because they rely on China, Brazil, Russia, and all of these people to basically buy the enormous, gargantuan amounts of debt that the US is actually putting out. So I think there's a split threat there. It's not just that the ceiling's going up, it's whether or not people will actually buy it because if they're not trading in US dollars, they don't have to hold US assets, so they don't buy US treasuries, so they don't fund the US government. So this is like the next 30 year worry, <laughs> but not for the next 12 months. And FinCET doesn't go out 30 years. I wanted to... Um... Not that I know. <laughs> I'm not the person to ask. I wanted to... Um go a bit further on this on this point with China because it seems to me I, the situation in Ukraine notwithstanding Russia is not the economic power that it was the, the relationship between the US and China is going to be the defining economic relationship of of this century I, I would think well, that's that's the word that I hear how do you see that side of things developing in the in the short term short term I think they'll just be saber rattling and hopefully it just stays like that and there's loads of really amazing diplomacy that just kind of resolves all these things and back channeling that we never see um, who knows but it, as you say it has to be the biggest systemic risk out there um, and not dissociated from the debt ceiling and the US reserves and the, you know, all of that kind of stuff it's it's it is going to be a very generational shift economically for us I mean the US uh, position came out of Bretton Woods after World War II and the funding that they did to fund everybody out the Marshall Plan, all this kind of stuff that basically developed. We're now seeing this shift that's going to go across and um, hopefully I won't be forecasting at that point. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, do we have any more questions? We have got a little bit of time left. Yep, I'll come around. This is Kirsty, friend of the podcast. Thanks, Oliver. Um, question for Paul around, uh, we're talking about future economy here, but let's think about clients in the future. And if we're going into a new generation of business owners, they're very entrepreneurial, the younger business owners, we know that, but the businesses look a bit different uh, in that they're often smaller, more agile than, than our traditional businesses, which have got big buildings and lots of employees. How do you think that will affect the funding that they're going to want uh, and also their behaviours? I mean, I'm guessing they're really switched on to data, the younger business owners. So if you want to attract younger business owners, you need to offer things that they're going to like. And probably credit scores is something they really understand and, and see as powerful. How do you think that's going to affect their view of funding and products that they're prepared to go with? I think, um, well, who's used Klarna? Klarna? No? You're good. 
Um, I think that um, there's this entire shadow industry that's developing in the buy now, pay later uh, space. And some could argue that actually it's like a, a pretty big developing risk actually within the lending community because people, it's not understood, it's not actually reported to credit bureaus at the moment, that data. But the principle of it is that um, the younger generations, Gen Z Alpha, whichever we're talking about, in that context, they're way happier to just share data. I mean, you know, my son is 11 years old and he's pretty free on the web as much as we try not to uh, let him be that way. And in that space, you know, in the sharing of data, ultimately we can uh, analyze risk in new ways and therefore there are new funding methodologies developing and e-commerce is, you know, is gonna continue to grow with like enormous uh, speed. Um, despite what's been happening over the last few months. And as a result, you know, different revenue financing models and so on will, will, will come through. I think to your point about credit scores, there's also a massive generational shift between uh, the younger audience, who are much more engaged in their credit scores, than the older audience, um, who, who haven't. If you look at somebody like um, an Experian, um, they typically will have a... Like, whether or not you engage with them, typically what happens is nobody really kind of engages in a credit score until such point that you need to take out some loan of some sort. It's typically a car, it's a house, it's a something. And the moment that happens, you're in their world. They probably have you for the next 50 years at that point, okay? And they think your, your lifetime value to them as a business kind of evolves because you have no debt, credit score, debt, you're paying your debt away, you eventually kind of come out your mortgage, you start to think about wealth management, and then you're into a different space, your credit starts, starts to change, and then the thinking is, what are these people gonna be doing with their assets now that are approaching pension time? Okay. So credit scores start there. But when you're at this stage, hopefully, you know, we've got some assets, we've got some pensions, we've got these things, you're probably more like a 999 or a 99 or whatever the credit score is um, from whichever provider at that, at that point. So I think there is a shift, like there's a massive generational shift from a credit score perspective. And that's it for this episode of the Practice Evolution podcast, uh, recorded live from Accountex 2023. You can find out more about Walters Kluwer Tax and Accounting UK by visiting walterskluwer.co.uk or connecting with us on LinkedIn or following us on Twitter. Thanks as always to our guests for this episode. And in fact, thanks to everyone we spoke to at Accountex and who popped by the stand. Remember, as always, you can subscribe, rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you're listening in on. See you next time for more sessions that we recorded live from Accountex 2023.